Welcome to the Females on Fire podcast, where I hope that you'll gain both the tools you need to grow your business and the motivation you need to create your dream life. I'm Haley Luckadoo, motivational speaker, serial entrepreneur, huge lover of Dr. Pepper, and of course, the host who will be introducing you to the phenomenal women sharing their stories and expertise to inspire you, help you succeed, and set your soul on fire. Hi, ladies, and welcome back. Before we dive into a new episode, I want to quickly tell you about my partnership with HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an easy-to-use client management platform where you can manage contracts, invoices, and workflows, track your time, create automated processes, and even create a customized portal for your clients to access. It's got everything, and I've partnered up with them to bring you an incredible offer. Just use the code HaleyLuckadoo or click the link in the description to get 50% off your first year subscription. I love using HoneyBook for my business, but I love to save money even more. So if you need a client management software or have considered making the switch to HoneyBook, now is the time. Again, just use the code HaleyLuckadoo or click the link and save yourself $200 while simplifying your life. I promise you will not regret it. We are so excited for this episode because we are going to be talking all about cloning your best clients. And this is going to be such a good one because we all want to attract more of our ideal client. And that is exactly what we're going to talk about. Today's guest expert is Heidi Thompson, and she is a business and marketing strategist for wedding business owners through her company, Evolve Your Wedding Business. And if you're not a wedding professional, don't worry. This conversation is absolutely still for you because her advice definitely applies to any creative business. And Heidi actually wrote a book called Clone Your Best Clients. So she is definitely an expert in this area and is going to be giving us all of her best tips and strategies today. So Heidi, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're definitely excited. So before we dive in to what everybody is ready to hear, can you just give our listeners a little bit of background on you, where you came from and how you got here? Yeah, so it is a long and winding path of unintentional things that kind of came together. So in college, which we can go all the way back to there, I did a lot of volunteering with some local nonprofits in my college town to help them with fundraising events. And that really brought me into this whole world of events, but it also brought me into this whole world of marketing. Because if you're going to host some sort of event, especially an event where you're asking something of someone, if it's a ticketed event or you know, you're asking for a donation of some kind as a charity, you have to compel them to do that in some way. And that was really the first time that I encountered marketing in that way as like this psychological thing. And I loved it. I was like, oh my God, how did I not know that this existed? This is like my new favorite thing that I'm still to this day obsessed with. So I, at the time, thought 
that, uh, okay, I'll go down the events path. And I did, and I worked for some nonprofits. And then I saw an opportunity to work as an assistant wedding planner. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. (laughs) Count me in. And while it was an awesome experience, I realized at that point that it wasn't really the events side of it that I was drawn to. It was the marketing side of it, but I didn't really have the context to figure that out at the time. So right around this time, I wind up moving to England, where my husband's from. We got married, moved over there. And I'm working in marketing and I'm marketing everything from beds to software to uh, ESL program at Cambridge University. Uh, But the entire time I'm keeping an eye on the wedding industry because it really intrigues me. The creativity in the wedding industry always has. And I noticed that at the time in the UK, there seemed to be this gap between what the wedding media, what the bridal shows were doing, which was very like white, fluffy Cinderella, and where the market was going. And it seemed like the market was taking like a hard left into offbeat bride, into rock and roll bride. Like, how can I make my wedding a representation of me and the stuff that I'm into? Like, uh, I want to have a Harry Potter wedding. Like, what does that look like? I don't want the big, white, fluffy thing. So I saw this as an opportunity to step back into the industry. And I created the Alternative Wedding Fair in London. And the purpose of this fair was to bring together quirky couples and quirky vendors. And these vendors, good God, if they were paid on their talent, alone would be millionaires if not billionaires but unfortunately we don't get paid on our talent we get paid on how well we can market ourselves and I found myself spending a lot of time coaching and helping my exhibitors get a better return on their investment from the show and that's where it kind of smacked me in the face that not everyone just loves marketing and business and not everyone just studies this stuff because they're interested in it and that I had an opportunity to really bring these two worlds together to support this amazingly creative space where like I said you know if you were paid on your talent you'd be a billionaire but they just were really struggling to be able to market themselves and I think that's a shame that that would be the thing that holds you back when you have what I think is the hard part down. Like you can make, I had an exhibitor who made dresses from paper. I had an exhibitor who made dresses for costumes for West End shows, which is English Broadway. Like these people were brilliant people, but struggling because of this silly marketing piece that was holding them back. So that's really where I found a convergence between these two worlds and an opportunity to step in and be the one to say to wedding professionals, like, no, there's a better way to do this. You know, you can make good money at this. You can command what 
you are worth and what your work is worth. You can work with your ideal clients. You don't just have to take what comes to you and you can build a business that gives you freedom both in terms of your finances but in terms of your time. I think a lot of wedding professionals and creatives dig themselves into the ground and with burnout. So that has been my whole mission with this business is to both bring those worlds together but to really try to help wedding professionals and creative professionals lift themselves up and be able to run more profitable, more freedom-based businesses and not have to sacrifice their earnings. In fact, they should be earning more. That's awesome. I love that it just sort of almost fell in your lap a little bit. Like you just saw this need in the industry for, and I say this all the time that I feel like that's how the best businesses get started is when you just see a need for something and it sort of falls in your lap and you're like, Hey, I think I could be the person to solve that problem or fix this thing for everyone. So I love that you kind of almost found your calling a little bit and that you've really stuck with it and built it up. It sounds like it's maybe been a long road to get here, but a a good road. Yeah. And it's certainly, I'm the kind of person who looks at it as like, not necessarily like an everything happens for a reason kind of thing, but like what I'm able to do now is a culmination of things that I've done. At the time, it may have seemed off path, but there was something I learned from that that I could apply. That's just so awesome. I love that you, like I said, have come this far with it. And like you said, not everything necessarily happens for a reason, but just that you sort of found the reason in it and made it work for you. Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. For sure. So let's dive in because I know you've got tons of tips and strategies that go along with this whole idea of cloning your best clients. So I definitely want to get pretty heavily into that. So obviously we all have an ideal client and you know, if you're listening and you don't know who your ideal client is, maybe tune into this later once you've figured that out. Cause that's definitely going to be something you need to know for your business. But Heidi, we all have that ideal client, but I know one of the biggest struggles of being an entrepreneur in really any industry is really being able to find those people. And a lot of times, you know, we'll take on somebody who maybe wasn't the best fit or has a lower budget or sort of a different vision than what we would normally do because we just can't find enough of those ideal clients. So talk a little bit about your strategy for how to find more of those. What's step one with that process? So really step one is recognizing that if you are defining your ideal client by demographics, you're not helping yourself. Because if you know that your ideal client is, for example, in the wedding industry, this gets real broad. Someone who is engaged between, you know, 25 and 50 within 50 miles of where I live. What do you do with that? You know, what do you actually do with that information? How does that inform your marketing? It's too vague because there are a lot of different types of people. I'm sure we all know a lot of different types of people that would fall into that category who are not remotely similar to one another. So the most important thing to do when starting this is really looking 
at the people that you've worked with in your business that you wish you could clone and just work with over and over and over and over again. And looking at, okay, why did I like working with them so much? That discovery side is important, but really getting into who are these people and not as demographics, not as, you know, people between this age range and this location, but who are they? You know, how would you describe them to a friend if you were all meeting up together? You wouldn't say, oh, she's a woman between 25 and 50 and we're going out for drinks. You know, you would say like, oh, she's hilarious and she's really into hiking and don't even get her started about Game of Thrones because she'll never shut up. That is the kind of way we speak about people. And I think that gets lost when we're talking about ideal clients. But we have to remember they are people. And the reason why this is so important is because we all make purchasing decisions based on who we are and what we value. So I'm sure you can think of, you know, stores you love, stores you hate, brands the same where, you know, you wouldn't be caught dead buying something from them because there's something about who they are, what they do as a brand that really turns you off, doesn't align with what you value. There are probably things that you pay more for because it aligns with what you value. And I think a great example of this, and it can help to take it outside of our industries, is like Whole Foods. Food is more expensive at Whole Foods. But if you are the kind of person who values what Whole Foods stands for, you're willing to pay for it. You're a lot less likely to be buying your produce at Walmart, even though it's cheaper. So if we want to get away from competing on price, we really have to look at who are these people and what is it that they value. So really identifying those people that you've worked with is the first step and starting to analyze who are they? What do they have in common? Maybe they're all really outdoorsy, adventurous kind of people. Maybe they're all, you know, like quiet bookworms, you know, whatever it is, just trying to identify them more as human beings as opposed to a demographic group. Right. That makes sense. So how deep of a dive into those demographics do you think it should be? Because I know you know, in my past experience as a wedding planner and hearing other professionals, I mean, really in, in the industry kind of talk, they, I feel like a big place where people get stuck is they feel like they're diving almost too deep into who their ideal client is. So you mentioned maybe they're a bookworm and I know a lot of professionals who feel like, well, that has nothing to do with the service that I'm offering. So I wouldn't necessarily want to look for those people. But in reality, you kind of do because you want to find those types of personalities to work with. So do you think getting into looking at their hobbies and looking at their interests and where they shop, where they eat, things like that, is that getting a little too specific or is that kind of right on the money? I think it's right on the money for a couple of reasons. So You've probably heard the whole, you know, we buy from people we know, like, and trust. And that like aspect 
is really important. You have to be able to connect with someone on a personal level. And I've had clients who really decide to specialize in different ways. So I had a planner who she herself is Mexican born, has been in the state since she was like a teenager. Uh, and her entire business is built around people with a similar experience. So for all intents and purposes, her her clients are American couples, but they're usually first generation. It's really important for them to bring in their culture, but it's also really important for them to bring in their personality and their, you know, they're not from Mexico. So the culture is different from what they've experienced. They're that first generation version of it. So it's bringing the Americanness, it's bringing the Mexican culture in, and it's bringing who they are as a couple in. And that just made her stand out so much among her competitors because not only was she attracting people who were right on the money for that, and I kind of like to think of it as like a dartboard, and those people are the bullseye, but then you get people who... I mean, if I was planning a wedding, I'd hire her because I'm a white girl that loves Mexican culture. So I'm more on the outer rings of that, but I still really love what she's all about. And then, you know, on the other hand, there is an officiant who really brings her personality and nerdiness about, you know, Marvel movies into things. And that is the initial point of connection for a lot of people. And I think when we think about this, we forget that business is people connecting with people and you have to be able to show a part of yourself in order to do that. And to your point of saying, you know, looking at where they shop, looking at, um, you know, the kind of brands they're fans of. The awesome thing about that is those brands have spent millions and millions and millions of dollars on research, on testing their messaging. If you can look at what they're doing with kind of the eye of a detective, you can glean some things from that. You know, how they are describing their products. Is it a very luxurious type of description or is it, more straight and direct that can help you in your business decide okay this is how I'm going to talk about what I do on my website this is the kind of language I'm going to use because it resonates with that kind of person yeah that definitely makes sense and I think I mean like I said I think that's just where people are getting tripped up I feel like so many people don't necessarily want to bring their own personalities into their business you know and especially like wedding professionals are just a perfect example. If you're a planner, I've seen a lot of planners who just, they're like, I'm here to plan the wedding. It's about the couple. So my personality shouldn't really matter that much. And I feel like kind of like you're saying it, it definitely does because you need to be finding couples who either have a similar personality to you or have some kind of personality that you can relate to. There's got to be a piece of their personality that you kind of can mesh with. Yeah. Or there's something about your personality that they really value. So I'm working with a planner right now who she doesn't think of herself and none of us do in the same way 
that her clients do, but in her testimonials time after time after time, it's, she had solutions for problems we didn't even know we had. And she can bring that out more in her marketing, like that kind of foresight and preparedness, because that's something that her clients obviously value. Yeah. And I think, I think that's just a huge piece of it is like you said, just knowing your market, knowing your audience and really being able to target who that ideal client is. And I love that you mentioned that dartboard analogy, because I think people are so focused on when we talk about, because we hear all the time about finding your ideal client and everybody's so worried that if they do that deeper dive and they look for those personality traits and those hobbies and interests and those values that they're going to end up pinpointing somebody so specific that then they're not going to be able to get booked. And so I love that you mentioned the dartboard because it kind of goes to show you like, yeah, you're trying to pinpoint that bullseye person, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only person that's going to book you. You've got kind of those outer rings too of people who are still going to value what you do and kind of fit into your target market, even if they're not exactly the person that you're looking for. Yeah. I get that it can intuitively seem limiting, but if you think about it in terms of if you are, say, a wedding planner, you are competing with every other wedding planner. If you are a wedding planner who is the go-to person for a specific kind of person, you just put yourself in a category of one. And now when someone who really resonates with you is comparing you to the other planners, it's apples to oranges. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So I know you have this idea of interviewing your best clients. So let's talk about that for just a second, because I noticed that with your book, you mentioned actually interviewing your best clients and, and really talking to them and getting out of your own head and getting to hear kind of their side of, of things. So how do you think that applies to finding more of your ideal client and what kinds of questions are you asking when you're interviewing with them? What's the point of that? Yeah. So the whole idea here is we want to clone these people. We want to get more people that are just like them. So in order to do that, we have to understand not just who they are, but their motivations, why they made certain choices, where they looked for you before they hired you, who they compared you to, all of these things. And you also want to hear how they describe you. You know, if they were referring you to a friend, what would they say about you? Because like I said, with the planner, she doesn't see that as something special in herself because that's just who she is. That's just how she functions in the world. That's why she's such a good planner. But that is really special to people. That really stands out to people. So the whole idea here is that your best clients are an untapped resource of marketing intel. Since you've already worked with them and you have the relationship to speak to them, they will, with the right questions, tell you what to say to them to book them. And I think that's the most amazing thing. Like they will literally say, I saw this, I decided based on this. I thought about this, but then I went in this direction. I booked you because this. 
that, all of that can help you really hone in on your marketing strategy. So let's say you are interviewing your clients and who you thought were your competitors are not even people that they looked at. Maybe they looked at completely other people. Okay, we need to reframe how we're standing out against these competitors that we didn't even realize existed. Or maybe you thought that you should be putting all of your marketing energy into Instagram and not a single one of them said that they looked for someone like yourself on Instagram or it could be blog ads or it could be anything, you know, they will tell you how they found you and that can make your marketing more intentional. But I think the most exciting part of this interview process is really hearing why they made the decisions that they made. You know, why did you decide to work with me instead of another planner, instead of another copywriter, instead of another web designer? And then they will tell you the ways in which they thought you stood out. That allows you to have a list of things that you really need to bring out more in your marketing. They will also say these things in a way that we wouldn't because we have this whole curse of knowledge thing. The way we talk about what we do is not at all the way that our clients talk about it because we're too entrenched. So you can take these exact words that they use to describe the benefits they got out of working with you, to describe why you were so compelling to them or why they booked that particular package. And you can use that in your copy, whether that's on your website and your marketing materials, whatever the case may be. But the entire purpose of this is to get this information so that you can craft marketing that speaks directly to this person. They're essentially like a, a test subject and you're just trying to get all this information out of them so you can market in a way that makes you this like shining beacon to people just like them who value the same things, who are looking for the same sorts of things. And it really helps you focus. And I think that's one of the seriously overlooked benefits of this is because it's really hard to hit a target when, you know, you have a blindfold on where you don't know where you're aiming. But if you know exactly who you're looking for, you know where they hang out because they told you, you know what they were thinking when they started looking for someone like yourself to hire, what other options they looked at, what concerns they had, why they liked you as opposed to someone else. All of this is marketing gold. And to give you a few questions that I really like to ask is, of course, you know, the where did you find me? Where did you look? Because that can help you make decisions about is it worth your time, effort, money, whatever it is, to be on these other platforms or to be advertising in these other places where your ideal clients don't seem to be. I also like to ask a lot of why-based questions. So like, why did you book me instead of another photographer? What stood out to you? And then in the book, I get into this laddering technique of questions and really just 
not being afraid to dig further because sometimes people will say something and you're like, whoa, wait, what, what do you mean by that? And you can dig deeper into why that thing mattered. So let's say, let's say you're an invitation designer and you ask, why did you decide on, you know, this type of invitation? And they might say, well, I wanted something that felt really formal and very um, professional. You could leave it at that, but you could also ask why. Because when we get down to it, all of our motivations are based on more primal things. So you can continue to ask why. Maybe it was they wanted it to feel uh, fancier than all of the invitations they receive from their friends. Maybe the why is one-upsmanship. That's important to know because you can absolutely use that in your marketing if that's the underlying motivation. That's so good. I really love that you mentioned asking them how they found you because this is like one of my pet peeves. I see it with designers. I see it with coaches. I see it with wedding professionals. It's like everywhere. People have contact forms. They have, you know, inquiry questionnaires. They have all these initial steps that they go through when they're sort of onboarding a new client and not once do they ask, where did you find me or who referred to you or why did you choose me? And so I think that just like hit the nail on the head for me. I was sitting here like shaking my head the whole time you were talking because I think people are really missing out on a huge chunk of their marketing because they're not asking those questions. So I'm really glad you mentioned that because I feel like so often, you know, you made that comment about there's a lot of people on Instagram and your clients, if you ask them, would tell you that they never looked on Instagram for somebody like you. And I've heard professional after professional after professional talk about, well, I post on Instagram every day and I spend hours looking up hashtags and I put so much money into Instagram ads, but they get nothing from Instagram. And I'm constantly sort of shaking my head and almost laughing because I'm like, why are you spending so much of your efforts on Instagram? And if you ask them like, well, where do you get most of your clients? And they're like, oh, I find them in Facebook groups. Well, then why aren't you putting more effort into Facebook groups? Why aren't you joining more Facebook groups? Why aren't you focusing on that area if that's where they're coming from? So I'm really glad you mentioned that because I think that was the one big piece that I think people need to hear. It's just, you really need to start asking those questions because like you said, that's your marketing right there. Your clients are handing it to you on a silver platter with one or two questions and it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to bug them and send them a questionnaire a thousand miles long. You just, one or two questions will really do it. And, you know, using their testimonials and using what they say about you and using all of those things that they found value in is where you can really get your best marketing. I'm really glad you brought up that point because I feel like a lot of people do what they feel like they should be doing without giving it a whole lot of thought. And I think a lot of times, I don't know what it is. I think it's, it might be a mindset thing where we feel like business has to be hard. So we make it hard and it can be simple and you can be lazy and you can take shortcuts 
like if your clients tell you where to find them go go there you know if you're uh spreading all of your efforts equally across platforms and you know some of them are giving you nothing and some of them are giving you a massive return well then reallocate that you know do more of what's working and do less of what isn't and that means you get to stop doing things which i think is one of my favorite things in business is being like, I don't have to do this anymore. Yay. One less thing on my to-do list. Exactly. And I feel like that was perfectly worded. You hit the nail on the head because I feel like, you know, it's fine if maybe you've never really tried Instagram or Pinterest or whatever. And so you want to give it a shot, yeah. put some effort into it, see what happens. But if you've been consistently doing it for a long time, whatever it is, and you're not getting clients from it, it's bad enough if you're wasting a lot of time on it. But if you're putting money into it too, I don't even understand that concept. I'm like, you know, these are the the two or three places that I know my clients come from. And that's where I spend like all of my time. You know, I don't get a lot of clients from my Facebook page. Do I have a Facebook page? Of course, because why wouldn't you have one? But most of what's getting posted on there is just like cross posted from Instagram. It's just copy and paste mm -hmm. because most of my clients are coming from Instagram and Pinterest. And so that's where I'm spending 99% of my time and money. And so I don't get that idea of, like you said, causing more work for yourself. I feel like we all think we have to, like you said, be busy and make everything look complicated and it's, it, it almost to me seems like almost like this idea of being in school. Like you have to take the harder classes. You have to, you know, t do all the extra credit because you want to look smart to your friends. And mm -hmm. in reality, if you just took like that regular honors class and got an A and had time to go out with your friends and all, you'd have a less stressful life and probably still graduate with the same GPA. And I think it's the same concept in business. You know, we want to look like we're on every single platform and like we're getting clients from everywhere. And like, we're doing all of these different things because we want all of our colleagues to look at us and go, Oh my gosh, how do you do that? You're everywhere. I see your name everywhere. I see this and I see that. And I just don't know how you do it. And we want to feel good about our efforts. And that's the only way we know how. Yeah. Whereas if you just focused in on wherever your clients are coming from, you'd book more clients, you'd have more money, you'd spend less time and less money on marketing and end up ultimately just being happier in the long run. Yeah. And if you can do what it takes to market in the way that works for you in like an hour and that's all you had to do that day? Well, good for you. You got the rest of the day. Go enjoy it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's funny that you brought up grades. I was just thinking, like, at my college orientation, I had, we had, like, a, an older student who was, like, teaching us everything. And we had to take a math placement. They didn't do it based on what we had taken in high school. It was, like, an aptitude thing. And this older student was like, look, it doesn't matter what math class you take if you're not doing a math degree or something related to that, which I wasn't. And um, yeah, you just have to take a math class, but they're going to try to place you where they think your ability is. So if you took calculus in high school, it makes a lot of sense to use that information to totally bomb this test so that you can go take algebra one in college and get the same credit for it. 
and let it apply the way that taking <laughs> calculus would. And I was like, Smart. yeah, I was like, awesome. You just saved me so much work. This is fantastic. You get the same result. Nobody's giving out prizes for things being hard. Right. Exactly. And I think we naturally, I don't think it's that everybody wants to be the best because I think somewhere in our minds, we kind of know being the best is going to be a almost unattainable thing to achieve. But I think we just want to feel like we're reaching to be the best. And sometimes being the best doesn't mean being on every platform and constantly being busy and never taking a weekend off. Being the best means making the most money or having the most clients or just having clients that absolutely adore you. If you are spending all of your money on marketing and you're burnout, you're stressed out, you never have time for your family. And then you have clients that give you kind of subpar reviews because you didn't even have time to spend on your clients. You're not doing near as good of a job as the person who's only on Instagram and works four days a week, but their clients absolutely adore them. I mean, you've got to hone in on where your clients are at and where they're looking for you and also just what you're actually able to do and what you're good at. Because if you don't, I mean, that's how burnout happens. And I think we've all experienced that to some degree at some time. And personally, I have no interest in going back because burnout sucks. So I don't understand why people like want to cause burnout for themselves. I want to work less, not more. Yeah. And the amazing thing is that you can, you just have to structure it that way. And you just have to really be intentional. I think that's what it is really, is you have to be very intentional about what you're doing. And I mean, I'm certainly not perfect. There are plenty of times where I catch myself doing something and I'm like, why am I doing this? I don't have a good reason for this. I'm going to stop doing it. I'm just doing it to fill time. But it's a constant, you know, questioning of like, is there a reason for this? Am I doing this to get more clients? Am I doing this to feel busy? Am I doing this to make myself feel better because I don't feel productive? Right. For sure. For sure. Well, this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. I think, I, I really hope that it's going to kind of strike a nerve with some people on what they're doing with their marketing and what they're doing with their clients and really help a lot of people start honing in on all those little things we talked about, you know, finding where their clients are at and asking them all the right questions and really start focusing in more on those deeper dive details of who their clients are and what their interests are and where they hang out so that they can really take their marketing to the next level. So I think this has been a great conversation for that. And I'm really glad that we got to hear from you. Uh, but before we end, I have a quick little lightning round. Uh, and these are just a couple questions that I think are fun and lighthearted that I ask every guest. So are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Awesome. What is the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning? That's, oh, I look at my phone. Honestly, <laughs> I'm being honest. I look at my phone. That's my favorite answer because it makes me feel less bad about myself. Uh, yeah, I look at, <laughs> I have a separate Instagram account where it's pretty much like, me, my husband, and my brother, and we just send memes to each other. So I look at that. I don't look at business stuff right away. I look at that, and then I look at Reddit, usually. I love that. <laughs> uh, what is the last book that you read? The last book that – I just finished uh, the audiobook of 
Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, which had been on my list for a long time. Oh, wow. Did you like it? I read that in high school. I did. It, it wasn't. It was different than what I thought it was going to be. I Because I'd always heard like, oh, it's about censorship, but it's about a lot more than that. Yeah. It's an interesting read for sure. I love books like that. Right. <laughs> All right. What is one thing that you recommend to everybody? So it can be a product, an item, a service, whatever you want. But what's one thing that you absolutely recommend to everyone you meet? Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. Um, does it have to be a thing? No. Okay. The thing I would recommend to everybody is to never compromise on your sleep. Ooh, good one. Very good one. My sleep comes first. Yeah, I like that one. I like my sleep. So I like that one. That's a good one. All right. Last question. What is either your favorite quote or the best piece of advice that you have ever been given? Ooh, that's a tough one. So since we were talking about feeling busy and productive and how like there's this, there is a cultural mindset against doing things the easy way. There is a Bill Gates quote, and it's something to the effect of, if I have a difficult task, I'm going to hire the lazy person nine times out of 10 because the lazy person will find the easiest way to complete it. That's interesting. Because lazy is just efficient with a negative spin. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's so, that's interesting. I really like that one. I, I don't think I've heard that before and I like the spin on that. I like it a lot. That was cool. All right. Well, tell everybody where they can find you. What's your website, social media? Where do you want them to go follow along? So my website is evolveyourweddingbusiness.com. You can check out the book over on Amazon or you can go to evolveyourweddingbusiness.com slash clone. And I also have a podcast called the Evolve Your Wedding Business Podcast. And I'm Evolve Your Wedding Business on all social. Awesome. Well, Heidi, seriously, thank you so much because like I said, I think this is going to be really great for a lot of people in helping out with their marketing efforts and finding more of those clients that they just love to work with. So I'm really excited that we got to have this conversation and got to get your advice and we'll probably link your book in the show notes. So if you guys are listening, definitely go grab a copy of that because I'm sure that it is a much deeper dive on all of the things that we talked about today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Well, ladies, that's it for this time. But don't forget to head over to the show notes to grab special bonus content from our guests. I'd love if you could show your support for the show. So if you have just a minute, leave a five-star review about how much you love this podcast. Then head over to femalesonfirepodcast.com and grab your Females on Fire apparel. Get a t-shirt, hat, and more because it all goes to fund the podcast. And don't forget to show off your new swag to all your friends on social media and tag me at Females on Fire and at Haley Luckadoo. I'll be back next week with another great show for you. But until then, keep reaching for those dreams that set your soul on fire. <laughs>